All right. Well, it's good to be here, and it's good to be able to share in the good news with you. Uh, welcome to our Easter Sunday service, and welcome to our Resurrection Sunday uh, as well. Uh, before we get started, maybe I'll just um, take a moment to pray, and then we'll get stuck into it. Heavenly Father, we just thank you um, because today is the day that we celebrate your son Jesus rising from the grave. And sometimes we think about this and we go, I don't really know what this means or why is it relevant to me today? And well, we just have this opportunity to look into your word this morning to see why it is so important for each and every one of us that Jesus actually rose from the grave. And so Father, I pray that you would be with me. I pray that as I speak that you would uh, empower me with your words. And I pray that at the end of all this, that we would be able to celebrate with joy um, and your name will be glorified um, because of your son. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. So every year, people all around the world celebrate Easter, um, but they celebrate it in slightly different ways. Um, some people will see it as, oh, it's a long weekend, so it's really good to be able to have a break. Others see Easter as a time to do Easter egg hunts. Um, sometimes it becomes a family tradition that the long weekend on Easter is when we go away for a family holiday. Others take it as a time just to unwind. And for those of you who like classical music, one of the guys um, that I saw on Instagram said, for me, Easter weekend is about good company and enjoying great music together. That's why I'm so delighted to be with you sharing the classical music you voted as the greatest ever in the Classic FM Hall of Fame 2022. That's what the presenter for the, well, I guess the classical music radio station thinks about Easter. But for many Christians, um, Easter is a little bit different because Easter is a time for us to remember what Jesus Christ did so many, many years ago. We remember that on Friday, he died, he died on the cross, and then we also remember that on the Sunday, he rose from the grave, that he resurrected to life again. Now, for some of you who have been with us um, over the last few weeks, you would have journeyed with us as we've seen Jesus come towards the end of his life on earth. Uh, and we celebrated or we remembered that on Friday. We saw that last week on Sunday that Jesus had entered into Jerusalem and entered into the final week of his life. And then on Friday, during our Good Friday service, Ashukit shared with us the suffering that Jesus endured in the last week of his life. The mental battle that he had as he made the choice to go through with, his will, with God's will to go to the cross. The fact that he was betrayed by one of his closest friends. The fact that he was physically tortured, whipped and beaten. To have a crown of thorns dug into his head. To be dragged up, to be dragging up a cross, up a mountain. To have huge nails driven into his hands and feet as he hung on the cross to die. This is where we're at with the story of Jesus, and this is where we pick it up. Because as Jesus hung on the cross on that Friday, the crowds dissipated, and eventually Jesus' body was taken down. And as evening approached, there was this man whose name was Joseph. And this man, Joseph, he was a very... Um, uh, I guess, a prominent member of the ruling council back then. He was also a secret follower of Jesus. 
And it says that in the Bible, it says that he's actually a really good and upright man. He's someone who actually, um, who actually was doing good things. And as evening approached, he went to Pilate, the governor in that area of the time, and he asked for Jesus' body. And here is where we really get to see that there is absolutely no question about it. Jesus has certainly died. We have a look in Mark chapter 12, in verses 43. So Joseph went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. And so summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. And when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. And so at this point, this is still, we're still on Friday. This is Friday kind of as it's late afternoon. Jesus is definitely confirmed dead. And Joseph and his friend Nicodemus, another also secret follower of Jesus, they take Jesus' body and they prepare it for burial. Now, the timing of these things is really tight because in Jewish culture, this day or this Friday is the day before their Sabbath. And so they can do all sorts of things all the way up until sundown. And then as soon as the sun goes down, it's hands off, it's clock off time, and it's time for rest. And so they only had a few hours, and so they take Jesus' body and they prepare it for burial. They do all these, um, all these traditions, and apparently that there was about 30 kilograms worth of linen and balm and all this stuff that they have to do to prepare the body. And so they do it, they get it all done, and they put it into a tomb. And as they put Jesus' body into a tomb, there are two Marys who are also there with them, and they're quite important to this story as to what happens. These two Marys are with Joseph and Nicodemus, and they see Jesus' body being being laid to rest. Now, back then, these tombs, um, they had massive stones that you roll over to seal it, and so just as the sun goes down, these two men, Nicodemus and Joseph, put Jesus' body in, and they roll the stone over the tomb, and they go home. This is Friday night. Jesus is safely dead and safely buried in the tomb, but it's not enough because people were saying, well, actually, we really want to make sure that Jesus is dead. And so the next day, during this day of rest, the Jewish leaders, they remember that actually, when Jesus was still alive, he said this weird thing that he's going to come back to life after three days. And so these Jewish leaders who are saying that, well, no, this guy is a liar, they go to Pilate, to the governor, And they say to him, well, actually, we remember that this guy who is trying to cause all this trouble, the guy that you've just crucified, he said that he was going to rise up again after a few days. Let's just make sure that no one tries to follow through with this, that no one tries to steal his body or try and make up a story. Make sure that you secure the tomb. And so Pilate, the governor, says, well, yeah, that's that's okay. That sounds like a good plan. We don't want liars to to be running around. And so We'll send some guards to protect the tomb. And so at this point, it's midday through Saturday. And so Friday afternoon, Jesus has been crucified on the cross. Friday evening, Jesus' body has been laid in the tomb. Saturday morning, these Jewish leaders go and they get the guard posted at the tomb. There's absolutely no doubt that Jesus is dead and buried in that tomb. But the Saturday rolls round, and then Sunday comes. And it's Sunday, and it's sunrise. And after that day of rest has finished, 
people can do things again. And so Mary, the two Marys who were with Jesus as he was being placed into the tomb, they wanted to go visit him. They wanted to go there and they wanted to perhaps put some perfume on his body or they wanted to sort of dress up the tomb. They wanted to give him the best burial that they could. And as they were going there, they realized a little bit of a flaw in their plan because they were thinking to themselves, well, actually, it took two grown men to roll this stone over the tomb. How on earth are we going to, um, how are we going to open the tomb? But as they walk into this garden, as they walk into this cemetery where all the, all the tombs are, they walk through the garden, they're walking, getting closer and closer, and as they turn the corner, they get the shock of their lives. They see that in front of the tomb, it's filled with guards, and they're sort of guarding the tomb, not allowing anyone to get there. And before they can even react, suddenly, there's an earthquake. The ground's shaking, and the, the earthquake is so strong that even all the guards, they, I don't know what happened, but they all fall over, and they all seem to pass out. And then suddenly, two blinding white men appear, and they roll this stone away. What a scene to wake up to on sunrise on a Sunday. And what a scene for these two Marys to try and figure out what's going on. Can you imagine, if it were you, that it was the day of your grandmother's funeral, and you're grieving, and there's, you know, you're sad, and you want to go visit her the day after, and you go to the graveyard, you go to the cemetery, and then as you go, you want to maybe put some flowers in front of her grave. That's all you want to do. It's early in the morning. You want to be by yourself. You want to spend time with them. And yet, when you turn the corner, you see that her tombstone has been roped off. There's police tape all around it. There's cops swarming all over. And then suddenly, there's an earthquake. And then suddenly, these two men in high-vis come over, and they break open the grave. What on earth is going on? Imagine the confusion, the emotions of these two women as all they wanted to do was spend time with the person that they loved, their teacher who had died. And yet these two men, these two men who in the scriptures say that they are angels, these two men, they come and they speak to these two Marys. They say to them, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus. I know you're looking for the one who was crucified just a couple of days ago. They say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He isn't here. He's risen. Go and have a look where his body was laid. And so these two Marys, they're sitting there while they're standing there going, so shocked, not knowing what's happened. And these two guys are saying that, what? Why are we looking for the living among the dead? Well, no, he's definitely dead. We saw him being crucified. We saw his body being taken down. We saw Joseph and Nico wrap up and embalm his body. We saw him roll the stone over. We saw the whole thing. How can he not be here? But they go in and take a look, and yes, it is exactly as the angel said. There's nothing there. And even all the linen that they wrapped Jesus in was all carefully folded and placed there. So much confusion on a Sunday morning. I don't know if you've ever woken up on a Sunday to come to church and it just feels like everything is just all not going to plan. I imagine that this is what these two Marys were looking like, you know, apart from the fact that they're so stressed and distraught that 
Their teacher had been killed, but this morning is not going to plan. Nothing is going right for them. And so whilst they're still processing what on earth is happening, these angels give them instructions. They say, well, the person you're looking for, Jesus has risen. You need to go and tell people about this. Go and tell Jesus' disciples. Go and tell his followers that Jesus has risen from the dead. And so these women, they've been told, and so they go. And in Matthew and in Mark in the Gospels, what it, ta- what it says about them is that they're trembling, they're bewildered, they're afraid, and yet they're also filled with joy. And as these two Marys, as they're still confused, not knowing what they're actually doing, as they're walking out of the cemetery, they're stopped by a man. And he asks one of the Marys, why are you crying and who are you looking for? And Mary, through her tears, thinks that it's the gardener. And so she says, well, if you've taken Jesus's body, the one that was laid in this tomb, if you've taken it, please just tell me where it is so I can take it back. This is my beloved teacher, the one who I've been following, the one who has just died. I want to be with him. And I love that in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 20, verse 16, the man says to her, Mary. And as he calls her by name, it's as if scales have fallen off Mary's eyes. She wipes her tears and she realizes that the man that is standing right in front of her is Jesus. It's not just some random gardener. It's not just some random person. It's not just some random man who is trying to look after her. It is the person who just two days ago she saw being nailed to a cross and being buried. And in this simple exchange, the evidence is clear. Jesus has risen from the grave. And in fact, from that day onwards, it's not just to Mary that Jesus appears to people, that he proves that he's risen from the grave. He also appears to two men as they walk down along the road into Jerusalem, and he spends a whole day with them, sharing with them, telling telling them about himself, eating with them, sharing time with them. He appears to his disciples, and he just materializes in a locked room. He just teleports there, but then he eats food. He goes there to prove that he's not just some sort of a ghost. He's, not, he's, not, he's proving that he's not just some sort of a spirit, that he's fully human. He actually has risen from the dead. He even appears later on and even performs miracles as he performs, as he shows his disciples and gets them to catch fish. And as we read the last few chapters of the book of Matthew, the book of Mark, the book of Luke, and the book of John, it's so clear that yes, Jesus died. Jesus absolutely did die on the cross. He was buried, but he rose from the dead. He rose to be fully alive, fully Jesus, fully man, and yet also fully God. These scriptures, the Bible, they give us complete proof of Jesus' death and resurrection. When you read these stories, when you read these scriptures, do you believe that this actually happened, that this is the truth? Now, for those who have been with us over the last couple of months, especially during Lent, during these last few weeks, we've been going through some very heavy topics. 
And for many of you, you might have noticed that each week there was a little bit of a common thread. And that common thread was this concept of sin, this concept of disobeying God. One of the weeks we talked about the concept of temptation, and as you leave temptation unchecked, it leads us into sin. Only just a couple of weeks ago, we had the, uh, the privilege of Tamara coming to speak to us, and she talked to us about suffering and how suffering entered into this world because of Adam and Eve, because of the fact that they sinned and they disobeyed God. And she talked about how the effects of this disobedience, this effects of sin came to be suffering and it has come all the way to us today as well. That even today we are feeling the effects of suffering. We all suffer today because they are the, ultimately the effects of us disobeying God. And then just on Friday, Shukit shared with us in detail the suffering that Jesus faced. And he showed how the suffering caused by sin ultimately led to death. Death on the cross. And it's not just Jesus who, who felt this suffering. But Shukit and Tamara shared with us their own personal stories in how they saw that suffering always seems to end in death. That death is all around us. And this is what the Bible says about sin, that the end result of sin is always death, except on this Easter weekend. Every other person who has ever lived has died because of sin, Jesus included. And the Bible speaks of death being the ultimate result of sin, in the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 23, it says that the wages of sin is death. For anyone who has ever sinned, anyone who has ever disobeyed God, done what God says not to do, the penalty that they have to pay is death. But this is what this weekend is about. It's different. Because when Jesus' week of suffering led to his death, his story didn't finish the same as every other human. His, his story didn't finish with him staying in the grave. His story has this next chapter, the resurrection. And we, want, we have to ask ourselves, why? Why did Jesus have to come back to life? And ultimately, it's so that he can save us from death. This is what the title of this message is called. He is the Savior King. He saves us. Jesus came and died on the cross, and he was the substitute for us. We talked about this a few weeks ago, the concept of substitution, that Jesus came to sub us out. This was God's plan for each and every one of us. We all sin. We all disobey God. And for all of us, death is the ultimate result, the result that we can't escape. And yet, because God loved us so much that he would give his one and only son, his beloved son, his most treasured person in his life, Jesus, he gave up his son so that Jesus instead would suffer what we should suffer and that he would die taking that penalty for sin for us. Jesus died for our sins so that we wouldn't have to die so that we wouldn't have to face that ultimate penalty of sin, that ultimate separation from God for eternity. This is what the first half of Easter is about. 
And so as you've come and as you've reflected over Easter this weekend, is this what you believe? Do you believe that because of your sin, because of my sin, that's why Jesus had to die on the cross? Do you actually believe that he decided to be our substitute so that we wouldn't have to suffer and die like he did? And have you said those words to Jesus to say, I believe that because I have disobeyed God, that I have to pay the penalty of sin, but I also believe that when you died on the cross on that Friday, you died so that I wouldn't need to. Now, this gospel doesn't just finish this message. Christina this morning read to us, said that there's this gospel that has been passed to us, but it doesn't just finish at Jesus dying. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4, Paul says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. This is the most important thing that I could ever say to you, this gospel. And the gospel is that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. But that's not it. There's a next verse. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. This gospel message doesn't just end with Jesus dying for our sins. It includes Jesus rising from the grave. And I want to share with you two reasons why Jesus had to rise from the grave. Two reasons why that is part of the gospel message that we have today. The first one is that Jesus rose to give us new life. And the second one is that Jesus rose to give us new purpose. When Jesus was dead in the grave, he was paying the penalty of sin. He was being no different to any one of us who also should have to pay for the penalty of our sin. You know, the, essentially, the rules of sin is that the fact that death is required to pay the penalty. There's no ifs and there's no buts about that. However, when Jesus rose from the grave, everything changed. Because when Jesus rose from the grave, he showed that as the Son of God, he has the power to overrule the rule of sin. He has the power to overcome death. And by doing so, he shows that he has victory over sin. I spent a long time trying to mull over this concept. How can Jesus rising up the grave defeat sin? And the more that I thought as I sort of went into this thought bubble last night, I started thinking about this video game called Mario Kart. I don't know how many of you have played this video game before. It's a, it's a racing game, and it's not meant to be particularly realistic, but it's set in this make-believe world, and as you race against each other in these really funny cartoon little carts, um, as part of this game, as you're racing through, you race through and you sort of run into these little boxes. And these boxes, when you run through them, it gives you randomly, randomly, um, this little item that you can use, something that can make you go faster, something that can make you sort of knock your opponents out the way. And when you play Mario Kart, of course, because it's all sort of this real fantasy world, even the racetracks aren't your normal racetracks. And so quite often as you're racing, it's really easy to fall off the track. And then when you fall off the track, you have to wait a few seconds before you come back, uh, before you can keep racing again. 
And for anyone who's played this game before or who doesn't own this game and only plays it at their friends' houses, you'll find that it's quite frustrating when you're not good at it because quite often what happens is you just keep falling off and you just keep having to wait and you have to keep waiting to wait and it's not really a fun kind of game. And you find that pretty much as soon as you start the race, the first time that you fall off, the first time that you sort of go off the track, then it's like, well, from then onwards, there's no chance of you winning anymore because you have to have a penalty. The fact that you've gone off the track, you're paying a penalty, and that penalty is you have to wait before you can keep driving. But then again, for many of you who have played Mario Kart a lot, you know that of all those different little items that you can pick up, there's one particular one that's quite powerful. And this particular item is called the Bullet Bill, and it's quite rare. And many seasoned Mario Kart players, will, they'll think of this item, and if you're very good, then you'll think this is such a cheat. For people who are very bad at it, you'll say, man, I love this item because it, it brings me back into the race. Because when you pick up this item, what happens is that suddenly you go extra fast. You don't even need to steer. It just goes onto autopilot, and you fly through everyone, and then suddenly you're probably second or you're first in place in the race. And so essentially, if you get this item, you're back alive. It's like you're resurrected, and you're back in the game. You're back alive. And so some of this is what I was thinking about, is that quite often... When we think about the penalty of sin, we essentially are out of the race. We have to pay this penalty, and this penalty is death. This penalty is that we're never going to get to where we need to be. And yet, when Jesus rose from the grave, it's like you realizing, oh, there's actually power to get back in. There's actually power to defeat this penalty that I thought would pull me down forever. When Jesus rose from the grave, he proved that it is possible to not just pay the penalty of sin, but also to have new life afterwards. He has the power to rise from the grave, but he also has the power to give us new life as well. Here the Bible talks about this idea that before we put our trust in Jesus, before we ask Jesus to be our Savior King, we are spiritually dead. We are out of the race. In fact, because of what Adam and Eve did when they first disobeyed God, we all are spiritually dead from the get-go. Listen to this verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21. It says, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. And so although we are spiritually dead because of Adam and Eve... The answer to that also comes from a man, but this man is Jesus. Because at the moment that we believe, the moment that we put faith in Jesus Christ, we are made alive again, spiritually alive. We're given a second chance. That next verse in our reading today, verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Just as Jesus physically rose from that grave, when we place our faith in Jesus, we spiritually rise from the grave too. The penalty of sin is wiped clean. We receive new life. We are given a second chance. And so that's why many 
Christians will say that after they've put their faith in Jesus, their life started to change. It's not because something magically happened and they're physically, you know, they, they got a power up. It's happening spiritually. It's happening inside. They were given new life when they put their faith in Jesus. Jesus rose from the grave to give us new life. If you are a believer, are you aware that Jesus' resurrection power gives you new life? And if perhaps you haven't ever made that decision, that you haven't made that choice to say to Jesus, I want you to save me, will you actually make that commitment? Will you talk to someone and ask them, how can I get this new life? How can I too be raised spiritually from the grave? Now, I mentioned that there's two reasons why Jesus rose from the grave. The first one is to give us new life, and the second one is to give us a new purpose. See, when Jesus rose from the grave, he didn't just go straight from the grave all the way to heaven to sit on his throne and to relax. When Jesus rose from the grave, there was lots of things that he still did before he went back to heaven. He appeared to lots of different people. As we saw this morning, he went to Mary in her time of need and he comforted her. He went to two men on the road and he spent a whole day with them telling them about himself to share with him the good news. He appeared to his disciples to encourage them when they were in fear. And as we look at each one of these encounters, when Jesus came to meet with someone, we see a pattern. Because each one of these people that Jesus encountered, they all were caught up with their own life at that time. Mary was caught up in distress, and she was so upset with the death of her teacher. Those two men at Emmaus, they were, they were caught up with trying to understand scriptures and heading into Jerusalem. All of the disciples, when Jesus appeared to them, they were locked in a room. They were scared of the leaders who might be coming for them next because they just killed Jesus. But when Jesus met them, a transformation occurred. Jesus met Mary at the moment of her biggest loss, and when she needed comfort, Jesus came and there was comfort. When those two men were heading into Jerusalem, they were trying to understand the scriptures, and so when Jesus meets them, he gives them that final piece of understanding. And when Jesus met those fearful disciples locked in that room, Jesus came and gave them peace and encouragement as he revealed himself to them. And then after each one of these people encountered Jesus, they all did the same thing. They all went and they told someone else. Mary went and told Peter and John and told the disciples that Jesus had risen. The two men on the road, as soon as they had met Jesus, they went into Jerusalem and they told the disciples that Jesus had risen. The disciples went and ultimately they told everyone that they knew. And because of that, the church started. Because of what the disciples did, because of the fact that they told people that Jesus was alive, we can be here today knowing that story and knowing Jesus ourselves. Jesus didn't rise from the grave just to relax and to sit on his throne. Jesus rose from the grave to give believers a new life and a new purpose. In fact, Jesus' last words that are recorded in the book of Matthew is a summary of this purpose that he gives to every believer. 
In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. This year, our church, our congregation, our theme is faithfully walking with Jesus to reach out to the wider community. And this theme fits perfectly with the purpose that Jesus gives to each believer. Mary, the two men, the disciples, they all accepted the new life that came when Jesus rose from the grave. And they accepted this new purpose. They faithfully walked with Jesus and they reached their wider community. They went and told someone about this gospel eventuating in our church today thousands of years later. And in fact, for us, over the next few months, we're going to follow that journey of those disciples as they start the church. We're going to look at how they faithfully walked with Jesus to reach their community, not just their community, and then the next person reaches their community as the gospel spreads all over the world. We're going to be going through the book of Acts, and so you'll get excited for these next few weeks as we get into this next series. But for today, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Because as Jesus rose from the grave, each person he met on this earth received new life and received a new purpose. And Jesus comes to each one of us as well, even to today. Maybe not in the physical flesh, but he still comes. As we come to church, as we read the scriptures, as we come to God in prayer, Jesus comes and meets every one of us and he offers his resurrection power to us. He says to each and every one of us, I have defeated sin and I have the power to give you new life and purpose. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves on this Sunday is, how are you responding to Jesus' resurrection? Will you embrace Jesus' resurrection power to receive new life and new purpose? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to be able to read of your son Jesus rising from the grave. When we look and when we see Jesus suffering and being nailed and dying on the cross, it brings us a heart of sadness, a sadness that your son had to die on the cross. But thank you that this wasn't the end of the story. Thank you that your son had the power, the power to rise from the grave, and by doing so, sets the precedent, defeats sin, defeats death, and gives us the opportunity to have new life and a new purpose. And God, I pray for each one of us that for those of us here who perhaps haven't heard or haven't made that commitment, I pray that you would help us, help those people to come and to make that commitment to say, I want this resurrection power. And for those of us who already have, make this resurrection power real. Show us what it means to have new life. Show us what it means to have a new purpose. Inspire us to go and tell people to faithfully walk with you, Lord, to faithfully walk with your son so that we can reach out to the wider community. Father, we thank you and we give you all our praise. It's just such an incredible thing that we can celebrate your son's resurrection this Sunday. We pray these things in your name.
Amen.